listening to Cap Conversation, the digital discourse of financial services today with Capco and guests. Today, we're going to be talking to Tamer Hassan, co-founder and CEO of White Ops, the global leader in bot fraud protection. I'm your host, Audra Schoenfeldt-Fuhrer, and I'm joined by Capco colleagues, Nick Parmaxizian, global head of digital, and Julian Bonet, head of cybersecurity. Welcome, everybody. Hi, Audra. Good morning. It's an Tamer, a special thanks to you for joining us today. To start us off, tell us a little bit about yourself and your journey to White Ops. Sure. Yeah. Good morning, and, and uh, happy to be here. White Ops, uh, as you mentioned, is a is a global bot mitigation company. We deal with advanced cybercrime and fraud and abuse use cases uh, across a different set of markets and use cases. I'm the co-founder and CEO of White Ops. I was actually the co-founding CTO for the first seven years where I ran uh, the detection teams, engineering and product before ultimately taking the lead role in the company to take it to, to other markets and use cases. Prior to that, a bit of time spent. I've had an interesting journey overall, uh, both across digital and software development. And you know, I spent 10 years in the Air Force um, in, in military aviation, flying uh, search and rescue Blackhawks um, at that time. And originally... Um, trained in, in mechanical engineering prior to that. So I've had quite a journey, and this is one of the latest set of important problems, I feel, for for the internet and the integrity of the internet whole, which is what brought us together um, in the beginning to start the company. Thanks for that. Certainly a very interesting journey. So you talked a little bit about, uh, about White Ops, which I think you founded in 2012 in a Brooklyn sci-fi bookstore. So I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit more about that and the mission in particular really inspired you um, for your current uh, current journey. Yeah, it was quite the start and it wasn't um, completely expected or planned. We had stumbled upon a problem. I was working on another problem, uh, basically doing some data analysis on a potential fraud case for a client of mine. And you know, funny things started to show up in, in, in the data. And as we pulled the threads on it a little bit more, um, you know, the rabbit hole just got deeper. Um, I ultimately connected with uh, a couple friends of mine co- that became my co-founders, Michael Tiffany, Dan Kaminsky, um, Dan, who was well noted in the security world for solving some major DNS problems uh, earlier in his career. Um, and as we took a harder look at, at this, uh, we started to realize the implications and what we saw as a fundamental integrity problem for the internet, basically knowing whether or not there's a human on the other end of the screen. And it's something that we saw was common to a lot of fraud and abuse use cases. Um, and, uh, you know, as we began to dig in, there, there was some core principles that really emerged. And, and one is that there's only... Um, one competitor that man- matters in this space, and that was the bad actor. Everything um, was largely about this game of adaptation and uh, this ongoing battle, of which we, we haven't, um, you know, as a security community, comprehensively solved for. Um, and, uh, you know, the, the more we whiteboarded out the problem and, and uh, where it could go, and we saw bots being used from you know, for many things, everything from, you know, obviously account takeovers, credential stuffing attacks to manipulating metrics and popularity on the web to interacting with digital media um, uh, and, and a variety of things in between scalping and sniping on e-commerce, 
uh, card not present attacks in uh, financial transactions. It it uh, it goes pretty wide, and and the problem ultimately evolved into if you can look like a million humans, what can you do? And uh, the answer is a lot of things, and uh, and, and it goes from there. Absolutely. I think that the the breadth of what it covers to your point is what really makes it such a such a significant problem and great that you guys are trying to tackle the bad actors head on. Um, so certainly we talk about, you know, that that affects absolutely every facet. I think what we do doesn't matter the industry. Thought we'd talk a little bit about a topic that's, you know, everybody's mind is on today, which is COVID-19. I mean, certainly the unforeseen global pandemic with that is not something that's disappearing anytime soon. And we want to know a little bit more about what's keeping you up at night from the impacts you've seen on the cybersecurity side as we've all moved to, you know, heavily remote work, nothing in person and those sorts of things. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, COVID-19 has changed us as a society in so many ways. Um, and, uh, you know, fortunately in some positive ways, uh, as well, right. Um, uh, the ability for, um, all of us to get more comfortable collaborating and working together, um, both in our companies and with our customers remotely and over a distance. Um, and, and that has ultimately, uh, you know, led to, you know, as we as we know, a, a mass shift in digital transformation. The the number of companies that have accelerated that journey is um, is beyond, I think, what everyone anticipated. Um, one of the byproducts of that is that the number of surface areas to protect and cover um, is magnified, you know, a hundred X and will be over the next few years as companies continue to move to a digital footprint and a digital experience, whether that's bringing stores online or workflows online or access online. And so the number of surface areas just got a lot bigger for all of us to protect and the education posture and the, you know, the, the essentially the role of security, um, you know, as we all know, is just an ongoing um, uh, battle against convenience and practicality and business objectives. And, you know, we haven't really comprehensively solved that. I think we've made some progress there. But, um, you know, we, we see fraud increasing. We've seen volumes increasing dramatically over the first six months of this year and uh, expect that to continue over over the next few years. Yeah, Tamer, this is, uh, this is Julian. I, w- I would tend to agree with you. Uh, and everywhere we're walking, we see definitely a surge of both digital transformation and people working remotely. At the same time, you know, to your point, we see a lot of increase of cyber attacks uh, and not enough talents on the market to address this anywhere in the world, actually. Uh, I, I was reading a report you know, where I saw about 60% of digital businesses will suffer from big, large service service failure over the next year, um, mainly probably due to the inability of, of the security teams to manage this digital risk holistically. So you know, on, on our side, you know, we're really thinking about what solutions will work to guardrail the digital transformation from a really from a, a, a cyber angle, and and you know we're thinking a lot about you know how we can still use humans, but also use tools that are actually used by bad actors such as you no know, AI, intelligence, machine learning, um, but still trying to keep a simple and clean way for the good people 
to access their services, uh, especially in the financial services industry. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. And I think, um, you know, th there's an element of, of this problem that goes deeper. Um, you know, we, we spend a lot of time as a community and we have um, working to minimize damages and, and, and lower risk. Um, but there's a there's another layer of, of um, you know what it actually takes to to put ourselves in a winning position in the problem. I think that's largely been out of whack. When when we you know really pulled apart this problem in the beginning, we we came to uh, a core principle that we built the entire company around, and that that was that um, this is an economic challenge. Like the 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 real. Um, and uh, only major path to lower sustained levels of fraud and cybercrime is to change the economics of the game board to make it more costly to bad actors than to all of us to defend. And that's largely been out of whack um, for as long as uh, we can remember. Um, you know, the, the, the cost of a thousand attacks is cheap. The cost of one breach is incredibly expensive. And the odds, uh, you know, have always been um, against us as defenders. And um, so, so we have to find a way to actually flip that and, um, you know, build around, um, you know, changing the economics so that, that we're leveraging our collaboration, our collective protection, as we call it at White Ops, um, uh, against adversaries, right? And that, that may mean sharing technology uh, and indicators and knowledge. It, uh, it also means using advanced techniques like deception and, um, and uh, manipulating feedback loops. Um, but uh, you know, I think there's, there's basic best practices, but largely it's been around um, accepting a certain number of losses. And I think, you know, we, we um, can address the problem more comprehensively. And that's, that's what we've, we've uh, worked on building at White Ops. Our, the core mission statement that came out of that is to disrupt the economics of cybercrime. That's the mission of the company. And we actually feel it's more of a technical strategy than anything uh, that, that has its own best practices. Thanks so much for that. I think that um, certainly that's a significant problem. And I think the point around making it more costly to bad actors and for all of us to defend it is, you know, the right approach. And Julian touched on it a little bit, but, you know, from our end in the Capco side and financial services, you know, we see often that the cyber solutions are the afterthought when it comes to the digital digital journey for the clients, you know, when it comes to passwords, multi-factor authentication, all that good stuff. And, you know, is this something that you see in your experience helping protect from the bots, taking over accounts, you know, disrupting marketing campaigns, that type of thing? Because, you know, as we talk about digital transformation in the journey, you know, how we are able to make it easier for us to defend, but not make it disrupted to the customer experience is certainly often diverse objective. Yeah, I completely agree with that. The, the, the path of least friction is common to all uh, industry verticals. And it's, and it's an important one that, um, that we have to uh, evolve to support in, in, in more ways from a technology standpoint, you know, the, the um, largely multi-factor auth hasn't been mandated even in financial services. And so it's starting to become more and more adopted, but it, you know, the, the impact on user friction. Um, and, and we see that as a part of our role as well as not just to minimize losses to fraud, but also 
um, the inverse. The, the, you know, one of the major opportunities is actually minimize friction on real users when, uh, when you know that something is low risk. And uh, it's, it's important across um, all industries. And, you know, we see it in e-commerce quite a bit as well. It, 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 uh, it makes a difference. I, I remember even being in scenarios where um, folks were measuring uh, millisecond ranges of, of performance of an application and tying that to revenue KPIs, large companies on, on the internet, right? So all of this actually matters. Um, and, uh, you know, there, there's always this, um, challenge between security and convenience, but, you know, the more and more we evolve our technology, um, we can actually flip that. You know, so one of the things we think about, you know, as, as I said earlier, is instead of pr- presenting a CAPTCHA to a user, for example, which is, which is the wrong idea, you're putting the burden of proof on all the humans, we should actually be putting it on the bots and the bad actors. So we run, you know, technical Turing tests silently in the background. And um, also when we, we know um, we've seen a human that, that we um, see across all of the, the marketplaces and industries that, that we address, we know there's an opportunity also to lower risk and lower friction, and we can give that signal back. So I think there's ways to improve on it, but, um, you know, and, and embrace it more or less, because it is, it is important to, um, to businesses across the landscape uh, to minimize the user friction element of, of how we do security. And Tama, this is Nick here. Um, on this topic of customer experience, I was talking to one of my clients yesterday in uh, wealth management. And um, one of the interesting changes that we are seeing from a customer point of view is that customers today are actually more likely to trust and seek out advice from a bot than from a human beings. And the argument is because, um, you know, what we hear is that, well, a bot is going to make a recommendation based on data. So, and that's a very new thing, whereas only a couple of years ago in financial services, we had humans who would be more likely effectively to uh, follow the advice of a human being. Um, What does it it tell us in terms of implications? And are there any things that we can do to uh, distinguish between good bots and bad bots? Yeah, it's such a good question, and and it's a fascinating one. And we've watched the world of bots evolve over the last decade um, in a variety of ways. The the you know we we've we've even picked up on bots recently designed to listen to music on music platforms because there is a value and an incentive to making something more popular. So what has emerged is a, is a marketplace of nefarious bot activity that is bought and sold to do a variety of things. So it's listen to a song, you know, uh, do social actions on, on different platforms, make something more popular. Um, even looking back at the net neutrality vote uh, in the U.S. a few years back, which was a really important uh, policy, um, you know, th- there was a comment for one of the federal uh, portals for public sentiment, and there was millions of comments posted with the identities of dead people on this portal to influence the policy vote that was happening uh, in D.C. And um, it was one of the first times we've seen bots overtly used to influence policy. Um, 
So, it, it, and we see the same thing on on the flip side, right? That uh, you know, there there is a variety of bots that are being used for a lot of things, in, in, including in security cases, vulnerability scanning. Um, you know, in some case, some cases, you know, malware scanning, which you know requires covert bot activity on the internet. Um, but the crux of it is actually that bots have become more and more human over the last decade, and that's the that's the true challenge, right? And um, the you know we. And we, we often talk about things like AI and ML, and I think you hit it uh, hit the nail on the head earlier. It's you know those are tools, and they're not they're they're not tools limited to the to the good actors. They're you know technology is democratic; it, it can be used by anybody, and it, and it is being used by by bad actors. And one of the other observations we've had in this area, when you look at the spectrum of bot activity, it could be something very simple, like a script running in a data center on a bunch of machines, which is usually easy to pick up. But the thing that has survived over the years is actually much different. It's malware-based botnets. It's our own devices uh, and laptops that are infected with something running in the background. You know, it's my daughter's iPad that has a bunch of games with, you know, certain SDKs. And, and who knows, I should probably do a better job um, policing it. But but it's those kinds of things, which means that it has, you know, it's coming from the same IP address. It's coming from the same device ID. You know, if if we're logged into a social media platform, so is the bot because it's operating in the background with our browser. And, um, you know, it, it evolves actually into something that we call compromised identity. So that looking like a million humans is actually um, achievable. And, you know, we've even seen, I mean, almost 10 years ago, um, you know, the Zeus malware, for example, it would record the mouse movements of its infected human users and use that to replay uh, when it was doing other things so that it uh, appeared perfectly human. The mouse movements appeared perfectly human. So, um, you know, I think the crux of it is that bots are looking more and more human and, and we have to um, uh, come up with better ways to to protect against it. That makes sense. Thanks, Damir. I mean, I think, you know, and certainly in financial services, we are, you know, supporting our clients with this proliferation of bots to essentially uh, drive automations and uh, release efficiencies. And there is obviously an explosion as well of connected intelligent devices. And one of the concerns is always going to be, I think, what if somebody takes over those devices? I mean, is there anything um, that our clients, we can do, I suppose, um, to potentially mitigate that risk? There's always great practices, right? And, you know, the, the... The right thing here is, you know, there's basics, right? The, the, the best practices with managing passwords and password vaults and, and, and using multi-factor auth. Um, but, you know, it, I feel like that's not the right answer to the question or, or, um, or perhaps maybe we can modify the question uh, a bit. And, and the real question is how, how do we get ourselves to a place of confidence where we're not holding our breath for the next attack. Right. Um, and that's why I always come back to, you know, how do we change the game board? And, you know, the, the, there's one of these principles that came out of uh, the defense industry here in the U.S. Um, uh, a few decades ago called the OODA loop. And, you know, it, it's been adopted in, in uh, companies in the Fortune 1000. It's, it, it's an acronym that stands for 
observe, orient, decide, and act. It's basically a model on how you react to an adversary on, on, on any game. It could be a chess match. It could be something in the cyber landscape. Um, it could be actual wartime. Um, and the idea is that uh, any reaction, you always have to walk through your OODA loop, right? Observe, orient, decide, act. And you can model your adversary this way and they can model you this way. And so the idea is actually to make your OODA loop faster than your adversaries or to disrupt their OODA loop. And if you can do that uh, sustainably, then you've changed the economics. You've actually made the long-term cycle of adaptation cost-effective for yourself. And um, and so that's what we think about when we think about, you know, changing the, the game board. Thank you so much for that. And actually, uh, you know, if you think there's a path that leads me to you know, my question, um, you made the comment earlier that, you know, it's really when it comes to cybersecurity, there, it should be more than best practices. And that, you know, today there's lots of pieces to the puzzle, but it's really putting the burden of proof um, on on the human side. And you made the comment about, you know, Ideally, you want something more from the technology layer that can run silently in the background. So are you in kind of the utopian vision or in the future state? Do you think that we get to a stage where, you know, the need for me to remember 60 different passwords that change every 90 days and, you know, have all my security questions and ways to put the burden on me uh, to be safe with uh, when I log in would potentially be able to go away and make the user experience easier because it can be purely driven by the technical evidence on the back end and allowing technology to keep uh, those folks from being the bad actors? I do. I do. And I, I and I, I do believe we're making great progress there. And, uh, you know, single sign-on and SAML is just one direction where you log in in one place and um, you don't have to log in and all the others and more and more we can do that, the better, but even just evolving how we think about passwords and how we think about risk. Um, you know, we, you can almost separate this into two types of, uh, vulnerabilities, risks or, or attacks, right? There's, um, you know, impersonating humans. Um, and then there's, there's also taking over our own machines, what's commonly known as a session takeover. Um, right where you're logged in to your bank and uh, so is the malware and uh, um, you know so that first layer we're, we're making great progress as far as who's logging in and making sure the right the right uh, devices are, are logged in um, and I think we can get to a place where that is is seamless there's a lot of research there um, the the next the challenge that will come after that and um, the next big challenge, I believe, in the, in the account integrity and account takeover space will be will be the session takeover. It'll be our own infected accounts where, um, you know, when we originally looked at this problem almost 10 years ago, it was about man-in-the-browser attacks, right, where you log into your bank to do a high-value wire transfer. You go through all the steps, per, you know, to do the wire transfer. You're logged in. You do the secondary auth. Perhaps you even get a phone call. And... You um, you validate it, and then the, the the malware intercepts the transaction, manipulates where it goes, intercepts the response, and uh, gives it back to the browser, and and everything looks good. And it's a very difficult and different attack, um, one that's based in in essentially automation work. Or that's actually what inspired a lot of the work for different you know differentiating between bot and human. Um, so I think we have a little bit more work to do to solve that problem. 
um, uh, after, you know, we, we get to a place where, um, we're at least solving, solving the, the login problems. If that, if that makes sense. I, I think it does Tamer and, uh, we we are very much in line with, you know, having technology solutions, you know, helping both, you know, the defense against bad actors, but also probably, you know, ease the pain of of the good people like uh, you and me uh, trying to uh, to do business. Uh, I, I think one of the challenge we see far is, I was, I was discussing with quite a few clients you know, before, before this podcast, and I, I've seen that only one out of five, at least you no, know, there's an agreement that only one out of, of five clients uh, involve the security teams once a new product is launched early, early on. So there's a lot of you no know, potential technology that could be used to really um, reduce the friction while still guardrail uh, the, the, the transformations that you know, the, the financial in services industry is going through. Um, but now we are ending with you know, a lot of banks with about 80% of them for new products or new channels that involve um, cybersecurity teams or technology teams very late in the game, uh, leading to you know, what we see every day with a lot of you know, clunky ways of um, securing the, the, the client journeys or the employees' journeys. Um, so really think that, you know, combining both all these new technologies, you know, that you talked about with the right operating model where everyone understand that cybersecurity is not just about, you know, a catalog of controls, you know, for insurance, as you said, but also to provide ways to, you know, be a differentiated, uh, to have a differentiated user journey is going to be key in the future. I, I completely agree. The the more we can move from uh, cybersecurity solutions being an additional layer to something that is enabling the business objectives more directly, you know, um, uh, I think the better. And in, in all of my conversations with customers and prospects, you know, we, we uh, what I've learned um it, you know, as we talk through the different layers of the value proposition, right, and, and minimizing damages and losses to fraud is is a real part of the value prop. But often, what resonates comes from things like minimizing risk and friction on real users. And I think, you know, I, I actually think cybersecurity can flip that to an advantage because um, that's something that that can be um, led by by security solutions and security teams and um, you know, and that, and that goes into to to other other layers as well. You know, it's what's quite interesting, and you know, one thing that has surfaced for us in the last few years is one of the byproducts of this problem is that the data analytics are sometimes skewed, and and the integrity of the data is at risk. And we found that in some cases, uh, much more of a um, uh, moving lever for addressing these problems because you're starting to get in a line with, with, I think the business, um, the business objectives and the goals of the business. So I, I couldn't agree more, Julian. 
just have one final supposed point. This is Nick here. Um, Tamara, you, you talked about earlier the importance of education. And we hear a lot about the the need to create a culture of cybersecurity. I mean, certainly when it comes to digital transformation, we talk to our clients about the importance of really rethinking your culture to be able to embrace this, uh, you know, new ways of working and, uh, you know, um, new ways of thinking when it comes to innovation. But rarely do we talk actively about creating a culture of cybersecurity, especially with uh, smaller organizations. What are your thoughts around um, how to create a culture of cybersecurity? Yeah, it's such a great question. I, I think um, a lot of that work really is around creating value, uh, value and belief. That's that's always a, you know a starting place to me when when you're pulling apart any big problem is what do you believe and and what do you value? And I mean that in that um, if we just get to a place where um, everybody understands the value of it. Um, you know, everything starts to uh, build from there. And the other side of it, you know, and the belief, which I think, you know, we we haven't done enough yet, is that you know, believing that we can win, or believing that we can comprehensively get ourselves to a, a place of confidence and security um, in our risks, is not something that's widely felt or adopted. We, you know, I, I rarely see. Um, you know, companies in, in cybersecurity coming out of the week, um, uh, waving the white flag of victory rather than, you know, minimizing and coming out a little bit bloody and saying, oh, man, that was uh, we minimized damages that week. That's usually the feel. Right. So um, but, you know, I think to, to come back to the heart of your question, you know, the best thing we can do is just embed the value and the importance of it. I, you know, especially in the in the SMB layer, the mid market, the smaller companies, yes, um, because we don't necessarily want them to worry about the the fight, and th that's the other thing we have to recognize that this is not about um, you know putting a feature or function in place. This is an ongoing this is an ongoing battle, and and it you know it has its own principles of adaptation playing the long game instead of the short game. And we don't want everyone to have to worry about that. That that should be the job of the security community, whether it's inside the company or outside the company. Um, so I think the best thing we can do is is um, is educate people to the point where they they understand the value and the importance of it. And and also to the point where they, you know, they believe um, that we can get to a place of, of confidence um, rather than, than insurance. Thank you so much for that. I think certainly, you know, with folks like yourself and White Ops, you have us believing we can win that battle. So, uh, you know, we're, we're on that side as well. And we really appreciate your time today, Tamer. Thanks so much. It's been a great conversation having you. Likewise, Nick, Julian, Audra, it's always great. Always great to talk with you guys. Thank you for having me. You've been listening to Cap Conversation, a Capco production. This podcast is for information only and should not and does not constitute consulting services. Mm -hmm.